eternal God, in the reading of the scripture. May your word be heard in the meditation of our hearts. May your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. If you'd like to read along with me, I'll be reading out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. So, now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And while Jesus was still speaking, someone came out from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. And when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. And her spirit returned. And at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. We continue in our Highlighting Jesus series as we follow Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. And today we are preaching the second of two sermons in Luke chapter 8. Where we are at in Luke is a place, a time, a season in Jesus' ministry in which Jesus is establishing his power. We see this in uh, a few weeks ago when David preached on the sinful woman who is forgiven. Uh, you know, remember that text that those who maybe have sinned greatly lo- might love Jesus more because they're forgiven of more. And, and Jesus in that moment, in responding to this woman who had been rejected and ostracized by the community of faith, that he had the power to forgive sins, something that he had demonstrated earlier when, when he healed the person who was let down through the roof by his friends. When he said, instead of you are healed, he said, you are forgiven. Take up your mat and get out of here. Well, in chapter 8, Jesus has calmed the storm. And in that miracle, Jesus demonstrates his power over nature. And then last week, we looked at Jesus healing this, this man who had been possessed by demons. And so, 
in that text, Jesus demonstrates that, that he has power not only the natural world, power over the natural world, but also power over the supernatural world. And whether you, as you sit here today, or me, as I stand here today, believe in that supernatural world, guess what? Jesus has demonstrated that he has power over it. And yet, David did a great job last week of pointing out that the person to whom Jesus demonstrated this power was someone outside the community of faith who lived in the Decapolis, this, this very, we would call, secular town. And, and so Jesus was saying that his love, his powerful love, his release of the captives was meant not only for God's people Israel, but it was meant for the whole world. And today, our text deals with Jesus' power over illness and even death. But the specific focus of Jesus' demonstration of this power is focused on women. Two women, to be exact. Two women who are described as daughters one is Jairus's daughter. She's the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus, a synagogue official. But another woman who Jesus surprises her and everyone else who is hearing him say what he says when he says to this woman, a woman who'd been suffering for 12 years from a bleeding condition, he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Jesus called her daughter. What does that mean? And is it an important point for us as we read it in the text? You better believe it is. The first thing is, is that it opens up this, this whole idea of, well, if Jesus, wait a minute, Jesus isn't married, he doesn't have any daughters, what, how does Jesus have the right to call someone a daughter? And you're probably already going there, right? Thinking that, well, is this one of those moments when Jesus starts to imply that he may be one with the Father? That he may have been there as the Son in creation, when this woman was created. And yes, indeed, this woman who right there in that moment is older than Jesus, he's calling her his daughter because he is loving her with God's love, the love of a creator. But there's also something powerful about the way that Jesus draws near to someone who had been socially ostracized really because of her gender. A little bit more about this bleeding condition that this woman had. It was likely uterine bleeding, hemorrhaging. And according to the Old Testament law, there was something related to, to um, a, a woman's monthly cycle that, that was equated with impurity. And so there was, a, there was, in terms of coming to worship and worshiping with the community of faith, there was a time that, that women had to stay away from that place, in order to come to God. This, the, it's, a, it's a purity law in the Hebrew faith. Now, if someone was suffering from this same condition, a similar condition, but it was more of a constant thing, you can understand what would happen, because the law actually provides, in Leviticus, that if it happens outside of that time frame, that the same rules apply. And so if this bleeding condition goes on for 12 straight years, it means you were never allowed to go to church in 12 years. What did she do to deserve that? Once we know that about the text, we ask that question. And then it makes even more sense or is more shocking when Jesus speaks to her. 
with these compassionate words, daughter, your faith has healed you. There's an embrace in that, an embrace from the one who is representing the covenant from which she has been excused from in worship for 12 years. Jesus comes into it and just says, you're mine. Jesus demonstrates his power to release, to set free, to liberate those who are captives. And in this text, Jesus is also demonstrating his power to restore, to restore life, to restore life to a dying 12-year-old girl, to restore life to someone who the community had all but given up on. The Greek word here for power is dunamis. And it would be helpful for us to just recognize and mark the connection between the word for power in the Greek and dynamite. That is the root. Because Jesus' power, we, we, oh, we, we, we cover over it, we smooth it over a lot of times, but it's, it's raw power. And it's power that will, will really just blow up a lot of things. And we see it in Luke. It is revolutionary. And there's something going on in this text that is blowing something up. It's Jesus' power that comes in there. And it is blowing up. You see, there are, there's a, we have it in front of us. We have chains, and they're broken. And those chains of those hands, we see the shackles on the hands, but no chains there. Those, have been, those chains have been blown up and obliterated. There is power that makes a difference. It makes a difference in life. These aren't just nice spiritual things that we're saying about Jesus. Jesus enters into the picture and lives are forever changed. And the women in this text experience this through Jesus' touch. But Jesus also touches them and will touch us by the saying of powerful words of healing and hope as their lives are changed forever. And their experience invites us to consider how Jesus might touch us and those who we connect with and relate to with his powerful healing and hope. There is a lesson in here for all of us from the text. I'm going to give you a a heads up about it. We're going to go there. And that is, we're going to talk about, about trusting, not being afraid, but believing. Don't be afraid, just believe. Remember Jesus' words to Jairus. Trusting, believing in Jesus' power in our lives and in the lives of those around us, in the life of the world, beyond denials, when people deny access to God or to Jesus' healing, which we see in the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, beyond delay, when it seems like Jesus' power isn't happening yet and we really need it to, because that's exactly what happens to Jairus. And because Jesus follows this this distraction, this interruption, and during that time his daughter dies. What's going on? And also discouragement. Did you notice, man, it it feels like a sock in the gut. What happens when Jesus arrives at at Jairus' house? And did you notice that people laughed at Jesus? They laughed at him. Discouragement. Discouragement. That was what was happening in that room where that 12-year-old girl lay. But did Jesus keep that from him giving courage in the midst of that? No. So we're going to get there. But the first thing that we need to say, I think, and it is a time that I think I need to go off script for this, and that is there's a huge issue here when we talk about these daughters of Jesus 
who are empowered, who experience God's power in their lives, empowered daughters, that, that we need to pause and talk about Jesus' heart for empowering women. This is a key theme in Luke's gospel. And just like a few weeks ago when we talked about the poor, the literal poor being a theme in Luke's gospel, we're going to meet this again. It's going to come up over and over again. And as we, if you studied into Luke's second volume, the book of Acts, it's going to come up again and again. And it turns out that this is a hallmark of the early church. The church spread one of the aspects of the church growing throughout the, the known world so quickly is that women had a completely different place. They were freed. And this is relevant in our day. I want to lift up something that a lot of you probably saw in the news, and that is the two people who share the 2018 Nobel Peace Prize that was just announced last weekend. Dennis Mukwege is a doctor from the Democratic Republic of Congo who has provided shelter and surgery for thousands of women who are victims of wartime rape in that country. That uh, uh, Many watchdog groups have called the Congo uh, the rape capital of the world. It's, it's a terrible thing. And here is a doctor... Dr. Mukwege is, is building clinics, and he's being threatened by these factions. His life is being threatened. But he's saying, it starts with me to rescue and bring dignity and life to these women who are being abused. The other one who shares the Nobel Peace Prize is Nadia Murad, who experienced with thousands of other women who were treated as sexual property by the Islamic State in Iraq, and has transcended cultural barriers that said to her, keep that shame to yourself. It's so shameful to admit that this has happened to you. But she has spoken out and said, enough is enough. I have to transcend this barrier in order to, to bring justice to this situation. And she has told the world, and she is courageous in doing so. And you know that, that in our culture, this is a season of awakening. Awakening all of us to something that women have been facing a long time, largely in silence. In terms of being recipients of harassment or other types of abuse. There are so many public examples that come to light. And if you're like me, it seems like the tip of the iceberg. The word to the church... The word to us and our culture from Luke 8 is that, is that Jesus cares about women. He loves them. He protects them. He is their defender. And he always has been their defender. And Jesus exerts his power, power, dynamite, for their protection. A few years ago, I learned that uh, the, the Christian band Jars of Clay, actually it was a song that I listened to, it's a, a haunting song that they, that they wrote that just, the lead singer of the group actually wrote it because he heard a homeless man at a homeless shelter just singing this to himself over and over again. Jesus' blood hasn't failed me yet. And he, he just put that to music. Jesus' blood hasn't failed me yet. Jesus' blood hasn't failed me yet. It goes on for three minutes. And I found out on an award show once that the U2 lead singer Bono had that on his playlist. That was one of his favorite songs for a particular season of his life. And the truth is, Jesus' blood has not failed us yet. And Jesus has not failed them, in the, society, the women in society and in the church. If there has been failure, it's been us. 
It's been us. And I, I had a recent conversation with someone about just even the common disrespect treated a little bit less than in, because she's a woman in, in different locations, you know, whether it's work or whether it's, it's uh, uh, in family. And I just want to say from my heart that I've come to the conclusion that my response to this is going to be, it starts with me. It starts with me. I am sinful. I need a redeemer, someone to save me and restore me as a man. And I need that restoration because I know from this text that Jesus has a vision for all of us to look at other people through the eyes of his love. Through the eyes of his love. That is the dynamite power in human community. Jesus alive in us and us treating others as Jesus would treat them. And so I invite the men in this congregation, if you find it meaningful, to say that phrase along with me and join me in that. It starts with me. It starts with me. And I'm sure God will, will guide us to what that means. What that means in our day-to-day activities. What that might mean for me as a pastor, um, pastoring this church. The women who Jesus guards and protects and heals and releases in this text are relatable in a couple of different ways. Um, First of all, did you notice there's a multi-generational dimension to this? As I look out at a congregation uh, full of people of all ages, women of all ages, and we we have a woman who has suffered for a long time. The text doesn't tell us exactly how old she is, um, but the idea is if she's suffered that long, she's probably along in years, at least for that time and that, that uh, time in the world's history. Um, and then there's, a, there's a, a girl, a young woman, who really is a young woman at 12 years old in that culture as well. Um, marriage would not be too far in her future. And so there's another point that we need to mark here, and that is regardless of where we are in the life cycle, Jesus cares. And Jesus' power is there for us. There's no giving up on someone because, Jesus doesn't give up on someone because they're advancing in age. But neither does Jesus give up on someone because they're going through a time in life that everyone popularly thinks of as woe. Right? 12 years old, middle school. And what we notice here is an unbounded access to Jesus. Jesus allows a limitation on access to his powerful touch. A religious leader insider in his family, but also an untouchable outsider. But we sense in this text a temptation throughout to give up hope in the midst of suffering. And yes, many women have felt that that sense of giving up hope in the midst of their particular suffering. And Jesus' word is, don't give up hope. Don't be afraid. Believe in me. But that's something for all of us, because all of us know what it means to be discouraged. And there are, are aspects of life that we need to allow Jesus' power to draw us through into. And then here's where we're going to get to our three words to, to kind of close up our sermon and apply it to life. The first one is denial. 
The second is delay, and the third is discouragement. So this woman who is suffering from this medical condition, who is likely uh, ostracized uh, for years and years because of religious purity laws, she's been suffering for 12 years. And, and in, in the biblical text, you know, Jesus' healing ministry is very much a liberating ministry. In that time, sickness was looked at as, as a power. And so if you were healed, you were released or liberated or freed from captivity to a power. And that's the same, by the way, with death. Death was seen as something that holds you. Have you ever heard that before? It's in, in Scripture throughout. You know, could, could death hold on to Jesus in the tomb? No, death could not hold him. Um, it, there is a freedom, a liberating, every, exactly what you see here. We are captives to, to sickness and death in the biblical worldview. And so in a way, she's been 12 years a slave. Do you remember that movie? of that, that man, Solomon Northup, who, who was a free African-American man in the North uh, during uh, slavery, when slavery was in the South, and he was captured by some folks and sold back into slavery and suffered as a free man in slavery for 12 years until he found his freedom. If you haven't seen that movie, you must see it. It was an excellent movie. But here, she, this woman is, has been 12 years a slave to this suffering, and the text tells us, and the, and the story in Mark also tells us that, that she's been to many doctors, and the Mark text implies that she's been taken advantage of, frankly. Uh, and uh, maybe they've given her, you know, kind of like, hey, if you pay us this, we'll try to heal you. And, and maybe they just took the money and ran, and, and, uh, and she's gotten nowhere. But in this case, there's a twist. There's something powerful about her connection with Jesus, and that is she touches Jesus isn't that amazing? She touches Jesus. Here's this outsider. She comes in, and she doesn't come right up to Jesus, but she stealthily reaches out and touches his robe. And that's where the power, that's where the little dynamite explosion happens. She's healed right away. The denials here can be. Sometimes Jesus' disciples are, are, uh, are criticized by Jesus because they're keeping people from Jesus. We remember the popular one that many of us remember about the children, right? Hey, stop, stop moving these kids out of the way. They, let them come to me. Don't build this barrier. Here the barrier is internal. It's a barrier of shame. It's a barrier that says, all these voices that say, hey, Jesus is just another religious leader. Of course, of all people, Jesus isn't going to want to touch you. That's against the law. And yet she knew there was something there. And so she, who knows, maybe she just wanted to try it out. <laughs> you know, she just reaches out her hand. And that hand reaching out is what healed her. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. He healing and salvation, same word. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And this woman's bold faith in the moment when this happens gives Jesus an example to lift up to Jairus. Because when people... Come up to Jairus and say, hey, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter has died. Jesus has just said, your faith has healed you. And then he turns to Jairus and says, don't be afraid. Just believe. You know this faith this woman had in, going, in, in crossing that boundary and lifting out, and touch, lifting out her hand and touching Jesus, me to be healed? Have faith like her. It's not over. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And so now we're to the delay. How difficult was it to keep trusting and hoping 
that Jesus would heal her daughter while Jesus wasn't delivering the power that he knew would heal her. And where does that connect with our lives? The times when we, when we pray, when we long for healing, for God's powerful touch to come into someone's life, and we find ourselves waiting during that delay. We've experienced the, the test of trust in waiting in a lot of ways. Have you ever been in line uh, at a, like a Seattle Mariners game when you want to get one of the giveaways, but it's to the first 10,000 people? And there's a big line at the, the ticket line, and you're looking ahead, and you're kind of going, wow, I wonder if there's going to be any for me when I go through there. Sometimes that's the way it is with, with healing. We think, we think of Jesus' power being limited, and we wonder that, that when Jesus gets around to it, will we even be around to, to benefit from this? This is a, a lament that comes from our heart. And yet Jesus says, don't be afraid. All those other voices that would discourage you, just believe. And then it takes us to this girl, this young woman in Mark's gospel, 12 years old, but suffering from a serious medical condition. In the text, it just says that she's in the extreme. She's in the extreme. This extreme is what happens right before you die. And Jesus is on his way. But then word comes that she's died. But here's the thing. What did Jesus do when he heard this word? He kept on moving in her direction. Nothing is going to keep Jesus from continuing to move toward the people that he loves and wants to free and release and to heal and to save. Even through ridicule, which yes, the Son of God, our living Lord, that sometimes we think is, is up there holy, people laughed at him because he was audacious enough to suggest that, hey, there's something else going on here. But he didn't let that keep him from it either. He didn't step away going, ooh, wow, I can't handle that. No. Some of us have the experience of, of knowing what it's like to being laughed at. And certainly, 12-year-old girls and boys know that experience full well. But Jesus keeps moving in our direction. And when Jesus offers his hand to Jairus' daughter and says, get up, he does so with the same heart of compassion that elevated this untouchable woman just a moment earlier. Both are daughters of the king. And Jesus' demonstration of power in our lives, including the miraculous healing of body, mind, and soul in relationships, this demonstration is intended to lead us into an ongoing conversational encounter with the God who is with us. And our healing isn't complete until this relational encounter, which explains a little bit of what happened with this woman who reached out and was healed by Jesus. Why did Jesus say, hey, who touched me? Some might say, well, Jesus really didn't know. Well, I, I think a lot of us probably assume in this text that Jesus knows, but he has a purpose in gently suggesting that there needs to be a face-to-face. -face. And there is. And he's able to share with her the good news that instead of just, this, just a one-time healing explosion in her life, that now She's been healed, she's been saved, and can now go into the rest of her life and be at peace in this relationship. And this is something that we all have. And Jesus continues to speak these words to us today, providing powerful healing and hope in the midst of denials and delays and discouragement. 
We receive from Jesus these words, and in relationship, we can reflect them to others. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Child, get up. Amen.